Amen. Amen. Well, hey, as you grab a seat, you can uh, go ahead and grab a copy of Scripture. Um, uh, Many of you were here last week. We started our series in the book of James. Uh, One of the tools that we handed out was um, some James um, little Scripture journals. If you want one of those and didn't get one of those, you can certainly grab one after the service. Um, If you're sitting back, uh, or yeah, if you think you can grab one now and and you need one now, that's awesome, but you can transfer those over later. They're just kind of back there. You'll see them around the lobby. It's just a tool that we have as we're going to be walking through this book this fall. And uh, James has a ton of practical tools um, for us, and uh, it is one of those um, uh, one of those books that uh, we said last week. It's it's highly practical, highly. Um, uh, uh there's, there's just a lot of um, uh, action points that are called for. Um, it's uh, pretty succinct and to the point. And, and so there's just a ton of things in here that um, I think God has for us right now. Um, as you're finding James chapter 1, um, I kind of want to set up uh, our time and where we're going um, with this. Uh, you know, when I was um, young, I remember... Um, uh, I think this is maybe, I don't know if it's where my, my love for tools started, but I, I remember always having a love for, for tools, um, like power tools, hand tools, just, you know, I, I, I think I discovered early on that, that if you have the right tool for the job, it makes the job so much easier. And, um, you know, I've tried to explain this to my wife many, many times, and um, I think she gets the concept. We just, our tools live in different places. Mine live in the garage, hers lives in the kitchen, right? So we, we're kind of at the same spot, I think, at this point. But, but I, I was thinking back on just some of the different tools that stand out in, in my life. When I was little, I got this hammer from my dad. And I don't know if his dad gave it to him, or if it was one of those kind of things, but I remember this, like, kind of this special moment where my dad gave me this hammer, and um, it was uh, just this little tiny hammer, but it was like, a, like one of those China dolls where you would unscrew the, um, the handle and it was a screwdriver and then you unscrew that and there was like a little smaller hi- screwdriver and a little smaller all the way down to um, like, like a watch size or kind of a, a glasses size screwdriver. Uh, to this day, I still have it. I'm sure I'll give it to my kids or one of my kids, obviously. Um, maybe I'll just kind of throw it and they can fight over it or something. I don't know how to do that at this point, but, um, uh, but, but, but uh, yeah, I remember getting that tool and I was like, man, this is... This is like my hammer, and, and was so excited about that. And then I remember when I graduated college, I was given um, uh, by my uh, soon-to-be in-laws. It was a great, like, awesome in-law move. Um, we were, uh, Bree and I were, were getting married that summer, and um, kind of as a present, they got me a really nice, like, DeWalt uh, power drill, like battery drill. And I used that thing. I drove that thing to the ground. I used that thing for like 12, 15 years and, and got so much you know, done with that, kind of doing that. Um, and then through, throughout college and kind of early in our, um, our marriage, I, I worked in construction crews. And one of the guys in my crew, um, his dad passed away and he ended up giving me um, a bunch of his dad's tools. And we were in an apartment at the time and I'm bringing home these like trunk loads full of tools. And Bree's like, where are you going to find room for that? And I'm like, I'm really good at that. So I'm like squirreling away like tools all over the, uh, the apartment, just finding little crevices here and there, you know, hiding, hiding them. Um, and then I'll never forget when we moved into, from out of a condo and into a house, um, you know, needed like some more kind of yard tools or hand tools or that kind of thing. I went to this garage sale and this guy was moving from a house to a condo. And I was like, man, this is, 
This was meant to be. Like, this is, this is perfect. You need, you're getting rid of your tools. I need tools. And so we just had a great time. And then he, he ended up, I get, got tons of tools uh, from, from him. But, but you probably understand or know, and you can apply it kind of, again, it doesn't have to be, you know, work projects. It, it's, it's true in the kitchen. If you're an artist, you know, having the right tools. If you're, um, do you, you know, uh, you do something on a computer and having, you know, the right app or the right program or the right, you know, machine with enough processing power to kind of do what you're doing. Like, apply it wherever you want. But, but having the right tool to accomplish the job makes all the difference. And I, I, I share that and kind of set us up this way to, to say that I think some of the things that James is doing, and specifically what he's doing in the passage we're looking at this morning, is I believe that he is equipping the church, the people that he's writing to, those that were scattered and living um, uh, in, in, in persecution, he's equipping them with the tools that they need to live uh, a life um, that God's called them to. And that is, um, without a doubt, one of the things that we see happening. And when you have the right tools, you can accomplish the job. So this morning, we're talking specifically about temptations. And I believe that um, James is giving the church the tools that they need to deal with, to uh, walk through, to... uh, persevere through temptation when it surfaces. And my hope is, is that we too this morning will be equipped with these tools. I think all of us deal and, and kind of encounter temptation in various forms, in various ways, to varying degrees at times in our life, and we need tools to combat it and to confront temptation. And so James is leaning right into this. And it's no mistake, I think that it flows from the trials. Last week we talked about trials, this week temptation. I think oftentimes in trials we are tempted. There is temptation that sort of surfaces. And so I think these passages are are connected and they're related. And kind of verse 12 uh, serves as a bit of a hinge. But we're going to look at verse 13 uh, through, um, through verse 18 and look specifically at what are some of these tools that God gives in uh, temptation. So that's where we're going this morning. Um, before we go any further, let me just pray specifically that God would teach us from his word now as we open it together. Um, would you just pray with me? God, uh, we come before you and we... Um, we humble ourselves under your word. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to, um, God, be quick to apply that which you have for us. And Lord, I know that you are trying to equip your church here this morning. God, that you have some things that you want us to understand. God, some things that you want us to walk out here with. God, you want to give us some tools that, 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 that Lord, you have made that we would use um, as we seek to walk closer with you. And so, God, I just ask that you would teach us now, um, that you would uh, move in our hearts, that you would convict us where conviction is needed. God, that you would encourage where encouragement is needed. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to accomplish all that. We know that your spirit is working. And so, God, we look to you now, and we long to hear from you, as we just said, as you're just saying, God, um, would you uh, speak? Because we are listening. God, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let me read the first couple verses, and then we'll walk our way through it. Uh, James chapter 1, beginning with verse 13, it says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. All right, here is what I believe is the first tool that James is giving us as we seek to deal with and kind of um, uh, work on temptation, uh, stand against it, is, uh, is this. It's clarity to understand temptation. 
Um, if we're going to stand against or deal with temptation, we need some clarity to understand what is going on here. Uh, specifically, the clarity comes in what is the source of where this temptation is coming from. And James uses some pretty strong language here in verse 13. You know, we read it and it says, hey, let no one say when he is tempted. But the, 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 the form of, of, of language that James is using there is a very strong command. And so um, uh, what we need to do is kind of read it more like, hey, don't you dare say that God is tempting me when you're tempted. Like, don't you dare do that is, is kind of the connotation of that. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. So first of all, um, James wants us to understand where temptation is not coming from, and it's not coming from God. And there's sort of three reasons that he kind of gives through this passage. The first is, the first reason that God's not tempting us is because God himself can't be tempted. And so because God's not tempted, he's not tempting others, it says that he is um, God cannot be tempted with evil. And we know that God is holy, that he is righteous in other, that there is no uh, desire for evilness within him. And so when uh, evil comes, that, that, that does not uh, move in his uh, being or in his, his heart. It doesn't draw him toward it. And so in the same way, if he's not tempted, he's not seeking to tempt others. There's just, that's not who he is in his character, in his person. Uh, the second reason that God does not tempt is, as we see in verse 16, we're going to get to it here in a minute, but um, uh, verse 16, it says, don't be deceived, my brothers, uh, because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. The second reason that God does not tempt is because he's the giver of good things. He's the giver of good gifts and perfect gifts. And so, you know, while we might ascribe and see that God allows and even brings at times trials into our life, Certainly, the Old Testament shows us examples where God brought trials into the lives of uh, people that he cared for, people that he was working on. He never seeks, God never seeks to induce sin or to destroy our faith. I think that's really helpful for us to know and to understand. God never seeks to induce us towards sin. So, you know, we can dispense with any sort of the picture. God has not set up some sort of tripwire for us. And he's not hoping that, or just kind of sitting back and waiting to see if, if we kind of fall over that. He doesn't put up tripwires. He's not standing back doing that. Why? Because that's not a good thing. And he's the giver of good gifts and perfect gifts. And so that's why he doesn't tempt. And then the third is he seeks to build us up and not to tear us down. It says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God is seeking to uh, build into us, and he's not seeking to lead us astray or to deceive us. And so um, he says, listen, the temptation that you're facing, let me tell you where it doesn't come from. It doesn't come from God. Where then does it come from? What's the source? We need, this is the tool. The tool is clarity on understanding what temptation is. And so verse 14 gives us that clarity. It says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire, okay? So that is the place, that is the source of temptation. It's our own desire. It's from within. Temptation wells up from within us. So it's not some external source or some external thing that's happening to us, but ultimately the, the, the primary place or the, the kind of sole place that temptation is welling up is within us. More specifically, it is our own depravity. Right, our own shortcomings, our own sin nature, which brings us to this place of temptation. And you know what? I think we oftentimes don't love to think about that. 
right? That, 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 that's within us. And that's not the message that's being communicated. Uh, I would say in general, kind of at large in our, in our world today, is I think typically we've kind of moved into this place where everyone is, is sort of a good person, like left alone, they would kind of you know, tend to or kind of lean toward good things, and that it's our environment or um, it's kind of that nature versus nurture thing, right? That, that it's just you know, difficult circumstances or bad people, others that, soil, like, that spoil the, you know, the, whole, the whole bunch, and, and, and that somehow this is perpetuated by the world that we live in. And scripture just says the opposite. It says, no, 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 it's not coming from outside, it is within you. And so all of us, there's no one that's exempt from this. All of us are not born as good people. We're born as God's creation, certainly, but one that's been marred by sin. We're born with a nature that is in sin. And that is the reality. So as we look around, I, maybe that clicks some things for you. When you look around and you see the tragedy around us, you see the, the, um, the, 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 the tragedy that people are treating with one another and, and the lack of, of, of self-control or, or the lack of, 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 of respect for authority or the lack of um, kind of kindness toward one another, that is because all of us have a marred nature, a marred um, uh, mark on us that has been like, affected by sin. And that is the source of temptation. And so your desire to move toward things that God would otherwise prohibit or say are not good for you comes from within. So we have to begin there. That is the source. Now, why that's helpful for us is to have, we have to begin with this right understanding of God and a right understanding of our own sin. If we can get those things too in place, then we're off to a really good start in dealing with temptation. You see, as we have a right understanding of God, understanding that he is holy and he himself is not tempting us, well, then that leads us into a greater worship of him, right? Because if we understand that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is present, but then at the same time, he is all-good, and that he's not seeking evil for anyone, well, that informs the way that we worship. But the reality is sometimes I don't think we think of him that way. I think sometimes we think of God in, in the sense of, well, you know, he, he gets most of it right, but he misses once in a while. Or he, um, he's kind of his version of present, not the version of present that I would like to see. Uh, he doesn't seem to be able to control fully what's coming against me, otherwise he wouldn't have allowed this. My question would be is, which God do we want to worship more? The one who is all-powerful, who's all-knowing, who's all-good? Well, I think we'd all say that we'd rather worship that God, but the more important question is not so much which God do we want to worship. The question is, which God is there? And Scripture would reveal that God, that Scripture tells us of who God is, that he is powerful, knowing, present, that he's the giver of every good gift and so we begin in this place, a right understanding of God, and then we move to a right understanding of our own sin. Scripture says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And as we understand in, um, that, 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 that sin, that the temptation to sin comes from within, well, then we know how to deal with it, right? Because if, if it's coming from within, then we, we have to deal with within. Like, we need a new heart. We need, we need change inside, it's not just kind of changing our circumstances, right? Or changing our habits or changing the crowd that we hang with or the people that we kind of run with 
or the, the, you know, the, the, the job that we're in or the, the things that we read, like those are all gonna be helpful things, but ultimately, like there's still one thing that's left unchanged. That's us, that's you, right? You're present in all of those things. That is where the temptation is coming. So James, the first tool, clarity to understand the source of temptation. Second tool that he gives us is a caution to respond to temptation. Let me show that to you in God's word. Let's go back again, look at verse 14, and then we'll add 15 to it. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that temptation comes from within myself, and here's what it's doing. It's luring me or enticing me away from the good things that God has called me to or laid out for me. And so the picture there is that that lure is exactly kind of what your mind might go to. It's kind of fishing, hunting language that James is using here. And um, uh, I always like to kind of just kind of get, you know, figure out where we're at in the room. So kind of show it hands. Who loves to fish? Loves it. Just like thinks it's great. Okay. I love to fish. I don't fish very often, but like growing up, I fished, loved fishing. Used to like, I felt like I was, um, for a while, I lived in a super small town in northern Wisconsin. I would get on my bike. I felt like I was like living in some, you know, leave it to beaver sort of show or something. I would get on my bike, like with my fishing pole, and I would like bike down the road to the, to the um, lake, and I would like fish for a couple hours. Like that's what I did like in grade school. And, um, and, and so I, I love to fish. And fishing, like when you think about it, from the fish's perspective, is kind of a funny thing. Like, have you ever thought about this? I, I certainly have spent way too much time thinking about this because, you know, I look at my tackle box and look at, you know, the things that I'm using and there are all these various colors that you don't really see. Like, there's not, you know, things, even worms. Like, we use worms. Like, worms aren't floating around out there in the water. Like, why do we use worms? Why do fish go after worms? Like, don't they question where they're coming from, right? Like, I would be suspicious. I'm like, why, why are all these, like, you know, what's that pink thing with the little spinny tail? Like, why is that going through? But whatever reason, it's attractive to the fish. Like, I, I much more understand fly fishing. Like, especially the guys that get out there and, like, see what's hatching and kind of, you know, weave that thing so it looks exactly like that. Like, that's impressive to me. But a lot of the fishing I've done, I mean, I'm using big, colorful, kind of crazy lures and throwing it out there, and it's, like, attractive to the fish. And I don't know what they're, I mean, obviously, they think that that is breakfast, right? That that is lunch, and, and they're going after it. And so they're watching that thing, and the whole idea is it looks attractive, and so it catches their attention, and then what do they do? They, they go after it. They, they bite it. And what they find is, is within that colorful little thing, there's a hook, and all of a sudden, they're gone. And I do, again, do not, from the fish's perspective, I'm like, once you start to question at that point, but yet you can still keep casting out, and like more fish just keep coming out. They're like, where are they going? Like, you know, like Roger just took that like colorful thing. What happened to him? Oh, there's the date again. I'm going to go check that thing out. You know, that's like, I don't understand kind of what's going on. But the, but the idea, that's kind of the picture, right? You're being lured and enticed and then being pulled away. You're trapped. And he says that, that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed with his own desire. And so we see something or we respond to something, we're like, man, that looks good. I want that. And in seizing that and taking that, what actually happens is we're hooked and we're kind of trapped and pulled away from what would be the good place that God would have us. And so this is what's happening with temptation. It's evil desire attracting our attention and drawing us toward what is ultimately forbidden. 
And James helps us understand the tool that he gives us like to lead us toward this place of caution is we have to understand the progression of temptation. And there's this progression that he lays out here. Do you see it there? It starts with temptation. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this list down. We see it begins with temptation. Let's kind of unpack temptation for a second. Temptation, um, I think is what we see in scripture, is an impulse to sin. It's an impulse to do what God has said we should not. And I would say this, if you are tempted, what James seems to be communicating here is that that yet has not given birth to sin. So temptation in itself is not necessarily a sin. And along with that, it does not mean if you are being tempted that somehow the spirit of God is not at work in you, that you're not in fellowship with the Lord. I've, I've encountered people that have asked that question, like, man, I really want to do this. Does that mean that, that God's not working in me? Like, why do I still want to do this? I've been walking with God for a while. I, I think I would have, my appetite would have changed by now. And so if you're tempted, that in itself does not mean that sin. But I would say this, as you mature, the hope would be that the frequency and the power of temptation will grow less. Let me say it another way. As you mature, hopefully your appetites change. We can all probably list things that we ate as kids that we loved as kids. And some of those things, maybe you're still eating and people look at you a little weird when you do, right? Your spouse, your family, somebody's like, why do you eat that, right? And you're like, oh, I've eaten since I was a kid. Other things, you like look back on when you were a kid and you're like, why did I ever eat that? We could spend the rest of our time just kind of sharing really interesting things that we ate as a kid. Um, I'll share one. My, um, my, my mom, um, uh, actually, I never, I never got into this. I'm, I guess I'm sharing one that my mom did. I remember growing up watching my mom, she would eat saltines with like butter on them. And I was like, mom, like what, what is good about that? And she's like, I don't know. Just did it when I was a kid. Like that's what, and I'm like, I tried it. I'm like, no, mm, no. But I get like, she, she did that when she was a kid. And um, I'll share one that I did. I, I, I um, used to love, 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 like Kraft in the box, mac and cheese. I can't tell you the last time I had Kraft mac and cheese in the box. I'm probably gonna go home and make some like later, but I would have Kraft mac and cheese in the box with hot dogs. Like that for me was like, that was good eating, okay? Like when I was a kid, I'm like all about some Kraft mac and cheese, hot dogs. Like now the, the appeal is lost for me. Like I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you can have that. If, you're, if that's still your jam, go for it. But I'm just saying like, you're not gonna find that as on my plate, like with my, you know, my, our chase change. So the hope is, is that things that maybe used to tempt you no longer do as you grow and as you mature in the Lord. So I would say this, that maturity is not a lack of temptation, but maturity can be demonstrated by a lack of succumbing to temptation. So if you are new in Christ, we say it this way, the phone still rings, but you don't have to pick it up. And maybe that phone rings a little less, and the appeal is a little less as you mature. But the hope is, again, that as you're maturing, that that, that is less and less of a draw for you. This is where it begins. It begins with this desire, this impulse to do something which God has said we should not. And then here's the progression. It moves from temptation to desire. It says temptation, each person when he is tempted is lured and enticed by his desire. Then desire when it has conceived. So that's the next thing, desire. That's when we long for something that God has said is not good. So back to the fish, like it catches our attention and we're like, man, I want that. I need that. I'm going to get that. 
And some of us, let's just be honest, some of us are right here this morning. There's things in our life that we know God has said is not good for us or is forbidden. And we're like, I want that. I desire that. We're being lured away. We're being enticed. It's our desire which is driving at this point. But look at, look at the progression. Look at the warning that's here. It says, desire when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So it moves from I want that to I'm going to do that. And sin, sin is the active response of that desire. It's doing that which God has said we should not or not doing that which God has said we should. So sometimes our sin is like, yeah, God said not to do it. I don't care. I'm going to do it. Other times, it's like, no, God said to do it. And it's like, you know what? I don't feel like doing that right now. So I'm just going to not. We sin by omission, by commission. Sin is the active response of that desire. But here is the warning for us. When it has fully grown, it brings forth death. It destroys our souls. It destroys, it wreaks havoc on the relationships around us. It wedges between us and our relationship with God. It makes him feel distant. It makes him feel powerless. It makes him feel like he doesn't care. I'm not saying that he is. I'm not saying that he does, but I'm saying it makes him feel that way. When there's sin, it drives a wedge in that relationship with God. It drives a wedge in our relationship with others. And it can eat away at who we are. It eats away at our soul. And so the warning is this. It says, you know, if this is the progression, then be careful. When you see that thing that's enticing, when you see that thing that would might tempt you, the, the warning then is, is then don't, don't give into it. Walk away. Turn around. Go the other direction. Because desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. That metaphor changes, right? It's this, this conception and now giving birth, which then fully grown leads to death. It's a warning. It's a caution for the church. It's like, hey, it begins small, begins innocent. And some of us can kind of think about that, right? What began as sort of a small, manageable sin, like those are the worst, the ones that we think we can manage, the ones that are just kind of like not pervasive enough to, to really be dealt with when we, when we kind of see some of those things kind of happening. If you've been there, you know it can grow and it can well up into a full-fledged attitude, a full-fledged addiction, a full-fledged whatever in our life. It can become controlling, pervasive, ultimately, it feels like death in our life. And the warning that James is giving, he's saying, hey, be careful about how you respond to temptation. You know, as you think about death, I think about Numbers 32, 23, the warning that's contained in there. You know what it says? It says, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. We've said it before, every time God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself. If we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. That's, that's the truth contained in here. James is not going light with this. He's concerned for the church. He's, he's remembering, reflecting on this truth. Be sure your sin will find you out. It will lead to death. Nobody sins in a vacuum. Nobody sins in an innocent way. Ultimately, it is destroying you. And so be careful about how you respond to temptation. See, if we have clarity about where sin comes from, comes from within, and we have clarity around where sin is going, that leads us to a caution. Man, if this is gonna lead to death, then I better be serious about this, deal with this. There better be some good news coming in point three. There is, okay? The third tool is this. It's a hope to escape temptation. 
God gives us a hope to escape. The reason that James is writing this to the church, again, is to tools not to discourage them, but to give them hope and to lead them toward life. And his reminder to them is this, do not be deceived, my brothers, but every, give, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Again, James is writing to Jewish believers that have been scattered because of their faith. And so he's using some language that would have been familiar to them. We're going to unpack it here in a second. But the overall theme of what, God, what, what James is kind of wrapping this up or pointing them to is saying, listen, there is hope. And the hope comes from this guarding that comes. You can first off begin by, if you want hope, guard yourself against any sort of form of deception. He says, do not be deceived. What would we be deceived about? Well, I think the deception that he's talking about is the deception that we sense around God and who he is. And in trials, I think we are susceptible to deception about God. Uh, Specifically, like if you're walking through, say, a financial trial right now, you might be tempted to question God's providence and his provision over you. If you're walking through, uh, maybe experience the death, loss of a loved one, oftentimes when that happens, we question God's very, like his love. God, do you care? Do you care about me? Do you care about them? If you're walking through some form of suffering, whether that's through sickness and it's a physical suffering, or maybe there's been a relational conflict and you're kind of emotionally suffering right now, oftentimes when we are suffering, we question God's justice or perhaps his presence in the situation. God, where are you? Or God, if you're here, what are you doing? And James is reminding us, hey, don't be deceived, brothers, sisters. Remember that God is who he said he is, and and your situation does not change that. And he's reminding them, guard yourself against deception. Second, remember the goodness of God. That's what he's saying in verse 17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from God, our Father. He's the Father of lights. What does that mean? It means he's the Father of creation. He's over creation, and he is the sustainer God. He's creator God and sustainer God. So he's working in all these things, and in him there is no variation or shadow due to change. The lights change, right? We watch the stars, watch things. They shift and kind of move throughout the night and through the day. Um, shadows, if you have ever tried to stand under the shadow of a tree um, and you try and stay there for much longer, like over time it sh- sort of shifts and moves. It's saying, hey, God's not like that. He's always the giver of good gifts. He's always the giver of every perfect gift. And so remember God's goodness at all times in all things. And then let that love, let his love well up in you a love for him. I said it this way, let his love develop your love for him. And that's what he's getting at in verse 18. He says, of his own will, right? By God's choosing and his doing and his working, he brought you forth by the word of truth. We already saw the picture of this, right? Baptism. He brought you out of the grave, out of the water, by his gospel truth, by his word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the Old Testament kind of Jewish language that he's using here. First fruits were the... Um, the first portion of the harvest, which was given to God. And often it was a foretaste of what was to come, God's good pleasure, his working. And what he's saying is, listen, he's like, we, church, are the first fruits. There's many more to come. 
Right? He's going to continue this good work in the hearts of many more people. And ultimately, he's going to do that in all of creation. He's going to redeem creation someday. And so we are his first fruits. We are the work that he is doing. And so be encouraged, church. God has brought us forth by his word of truth, and he is working. All of this was meant to lead them to a place of hope. He has the power to bring us forth by his word of truth. He transforms the heart. So let's get really practical and kind of specific. How do we look to that? Well, again, if it's from within, we need a new heart. And if it's really dangerous, then we need to be urgent and, and kind of, this is important stuff. We've got to get after this. So what do we do? We look to the Lord, our God, for our way of escape, for our new heart, and for the strength and the hope that we need to endure and to walk through the temptations that come. And God's word is full of promises. And one that hopefully you've memorized or that you know, if you haven't, you need to know this verse. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's just a reminder for us this morning. Listen, no temptation. If you're facing temptation this morning, this is for you. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So many times, that's the lie that the enemy tells us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, is that nobody else faces this like I do, right? I'm the only one who's kind of walking through this. And it says, no temptation is overtaking you. That's not common to man. So there's others that are facing the same thing. But listen to this, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, that is a promise that you can count on, that you can hold fast to. So if you are facing temptation, look to God, the Father of lights, where there is no change, the giver of good gifts, and ask that he would help you and give you what you need to endure the temptation that you are facing. I would say it this way, is love God, or respond to God so much love that that love wells up in you and that is what leads to change. That what leads to transformation in your heart. And some of us are at various places in this journey. You know, that progress of temptation. Some of us, we know there's some things around us that are tempting us. And on a very practical level, there's some things that you can do to, to guard yourself against that, Right? Like physically, don't go to the places where temptation exists. If you struggle with alcoholism or you, you know drunkenness is a, is a thing for you and you're like, I know that this is wrong. I know that this is like, you need to make sure that you don't be around and kind of in those situations where that's gonna be tempted. If you are one that struggles with sexual sin, that's oftentimes what we think of when we think of temptation. If you're tempted by lustful thoughts, other people, images, whatever it might be, then make sure that you have some protection in your life that, or you're not around situations or you're not around people that are kind of doing that because that's going to lead to other things that, that the temptation is going to give birth to desire, which is going to give birth to sin, which is going to lead to death. If you know that you are tempted to be critical, see, it doesn't have to be some action, sometimes it just exists in our hearts. Like if you know that you have an attitude of, of just a critical heart, like a grumbling spirit toward others or critical toward, 
toward things or authority or whatever it might be. There might be some, some blogs or, or some news articles or some feeds that you need to stay off of. There might be some people that you don't... I mean, there's things that are going to lead to this place of temptation. So uh, kind of go back to the fish. Like if there's a whole bunch of lures hanging around, like, well, go swim in a different part of the lake, right? Like go somewhere else where those aren't hanging out, all right? So you're not doing yourself any help to kind of go, go to those places and just kind of like look at all the pretty lures, all right, go, go somewhere else, turn around, go the other way. But then remember, when you find yourself facing that temptation, that God, the giver of good gifts, is working on your behalf to bring you to a place of newness and wholeness and life, and that he will provide a way of escape. He's giving you the help that you need. The question is, are you going to receive it from him? So my hope is this, church, that we would be a people of God that deals with sin according to the seriousness that it has and that we would see the, the destruction that it makes. I mean, that's the warning, right? He's not trying to keep the people of God away from fun things that they're gonna, like, ultimately, like, this is leading toward your death, so that's why I'm telling you this, is so that you will not, your souls will remain intact There is hope to escape this temptation, and that is why we respond to the goodness and the praise with goodness and, and praise of God. Because again, He sent His Son. Why? To pay for that sin nature, to do which we are unable to do. He lived. Jesus experienced temptation. Right? It says God. Like we can get into that another time. Right? God is not tempted, but Jesus, as man, it says that He was tempted in every way. He knows what it's like to be tempted, and so Jesus experienced real temptation, and withstood. And he went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our failure to achieve that. And his righteousness is counted on our behalf as we respond to him in faith. See, that is what it ultimately comes back to. You might be like, man, I keep failing. I keep tripping up. I keep giving in to the temptation. And what I would say to you is there is grace and there is God's power that is offered and at work in us. And we have but to receive and to respond to the goodness of God and all that he has offered to us. See, these are the tools that he has. So the question is, are we gonna use them, right? It does no good to have a great tool, right? Hopefully this week, or as we encounter temptation in the weeks to come, is that we would remember with clarity, okay, where is this coming from? This is my own desire. I desire this. I need a new heart. This is serious, I need to deal with this. I need to be careful. Maybe one of the ways that you deal with it is you get some others around you, right? Those of you that are married, bring your spouse in. Help, have them help. Those of you that have a small group, ask your small group for help. Those of you that have mature men, mature women in your life, ask them for wisdom. Ask them to pray for you. Surround yourself with people that would help. And then remember the hope that God gives, that there is a way of escape and that he is bringing us forth by his word of truth. His gospel is at work in our hearts. He's transforming us. He's bringing us to that place of maturity and that over time, again, the phone might keep ringing, but we don't have to pick it up because God is faithful and he's accomplishing that which he has called us toward. Let's pray. Our God, we want to respond to you rightly uh, in this moment. 
God, help us to understand and to grasp the seriousness of our own sinful desire. God, is within our nature to want or seek after things, Lord, which you have prohibited in your kindness, God, in your holiness. Lord, there are many, many things that you have said that we are not to do, that are not becoming of your children. And God, I, help, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see the danger that is around us and, and what that means for us. But Lord, I pray just as quickly that we would not feel guilty or sort of burdened by that, but God, that we would feel um, freed. God, there is no bondage in Christ. For freedom, we have been set free. God, you came to break the shackles of sin. You came to set loose us from the bonds of sin. God, the enemy has no power here. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue to transform and rebuild and rework our hearts so that we would be reminded again and again of your goodness. God, everything that we seek after, God, everything that we long after is found in you. Lord, what we're really searching for is really found in you. And so, God, give us a fresh understanding of that. Help us to understand, Lord, that that, that that thing, that enticing thing will not ultimately fulfill, but God, you will. And so, Lord, as we taste and we see that you are good, God, that you would just bring us into greater relationship, God, greater understanding of your goodness, of your power, of your work in our life. God, we ask for your help. Lord, I ask for your help for any this morning who feels trapped by sinful desire. God, would you set free in Christ by your power. Lord, help us to help each other in that. We ask for your help. God, we need it. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.